Hey, Rue. Yeah, Daddy? You want to do a podcast with me? You want to do a podcast with me? Nothing can keep us apart. Nothing in this world. You and I, we were meant to be together. Welcome to Rue and the Preacher Dad. We're a preteen. That's you. And her pastor dad. That's me. Talk with each other about big stuff and the little things that matter. On this episode, we talk about George Floyd, systemic injustice, and dismantling racism. Too much for just one conversation, but we've got to start somewhere. So, you ready to talk it out, Rue? Are you ready to listen? Always. Yeah, I'm talking. Hello, everybody. I'm going to do the intro. Go for it. Hey everybody, it's Ruin the Preacher Dad here with our third episode of our podcast. You said the world was on fire a few days ago. That's what people are saying. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to just jump right into it. Okay. You know who George Floyd is. Mm-hmm. Why do you know who George Floyd is? Uh, um... I know that he was, you told me that uh, when I first heard about it, that he was uh, killed by a police officer during his arrest because he was being choked. He put a, his, the police officer put his knee on George's neck for nine minutes, eight minutes. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah. Have you seen the video of that? I don't plan on it either. Why don't you plan on it? Because just don't want to. I'm glad to hear that. And I know that that's a privileged thing to say. But just as a parent, it's, it's murder. Yeah. And at your age, I don't want for you to see that. But it's widely shared. And on the other hand, we as a people need to see it. We need to have our hearts broken to it. And the reason why I say it's a privileged thing to say is that it's privileged to not have to face it, to not have your heart broken. I think I have my heart broken enough without saying it. So So when I told you about what happened to George Floyd, about how when he was being arrested that a police officer had his knee on his neck and that while he had his knee on his neck, people were, were watching it. Right. And other police officers, three other police officers were present and did nothing to stop it. And that the people who were, the civilians who were watching it were saying, you're killing him, he can't breathe. That the officer did nothing. How did that make you feel? When we were talking about this earlier, I, was, I said that people are cruel and people are stupid but you corrected me and said people can be cruel and people can be stupid I mean I knew that that stuff happened and I was aware that it still happens today it's just really horrible and the good thing about it is that a lot of people are mad and they're doing everything they can to bring the other police officers to justice. Mm-hmm. You went to a protest. 
I did. It was Sunday night in downtown Bryan. It was at 29th and Texas Avenue. It was a peaceful protest that was demanding justice for George Floyd. So did you like walk through the streets or just like gathered in one place and... I walked around a little bit. I carried a sign that said, George, Brianna, and Ahmad were made in the image of God. And I had my clergy collar on and a shirt that said, Black Lives Matter, White Silence is Violence. And I had my mask on. Um, where did George Floyd live? Like, where did, where was he? this happened? Minneapolis. Do you know how old he was? I think he was 46. Yeah, when I asked you how this made you feel, your first response was, people are so cruel. And you were kind of tearing up, if that's okay for me to share. Yeah. And I was really moved, but it was tough for me to hear. And that's why I said, actually, people aren't cruel. People can be cruel. And that's why I wanted to ask you something about all of this stuff that's coming up about policing and police brutality. So do you think that police are bad? Uh, no. There was part of this article that I was on, the, I think it was on the New York Times that I was looking at there was part of the article where uh two police officers pushed down a peaceful protester a 75 year old man who was trying to talk to them and he was sent to the hospital because he had head damage so i don't think i don't think we can we should think of police officers as one type of person because it's a profession and it's supposed to be about enforcing the law, not abusing it. And so I think it's not about them being a police officer, but them abusing their position in our society and using it to hurt people. And that's it. Yeah, something that I've learned in trying to develop relationships with the police in different activism and advocacy work here locally is that police departments are different from city to city, county to county, and there are thousands of them across the country. And uh, we have to be mindful of the differences between those where, for example, one police department might be trained in de-escalating situations, whereas another are trained in how to respond to already escalated situations. And yeah, um, in season one of Queer Eye, there is an African American man in the Fab Five. Is a group that, if for context, Queer Eye is a makeover show that's supposed to focus on making people happier and to bringing out their best self and l- helping them live their best life, not just making them prettier and so um there's five gay men one of whom is african-american and they all like drive around this this specific state or country or whatever and in this black suv (laughs) together 
to these houses of people that they're they call of the people that they're making over called heroes and Karama Brown the man who's african-american was driving and the person that they were making over was a police officer and so they were driving to his house and there was a pl- there a police car drove up behind them and Karamo started getting nervous because he's been in that situation and he was nervous because it's five gay men in a car and one of and like an african-american gay men and so he was just nervous about what was going to happen and the policeman actually uh, ended up being their hero's best friend who was just like welcoming them it's just like I don't know how to explain it. He got nervous because of his experience and like his being part of his family and stuff like that, but not back to like them being individual people, not just you know, police police officers. You know. Yeah. But being pulled over by a police officer made Karamo nervous. Nervous. Okay. It's part of his experience. Side note, when I was thinking about Queer Eye, you were watching an episode today from, is it the latest season? Yeah. And it's in Philadelphia, and they're doing a makeover of a guy who's a priest there, and he's an openly gay man. Mm -hmm. And as they're doing the intro, Jonathan says, we've got to take the past out of the pastor so he can have faith in himself. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So perfect. Jonathan is is my favorite. That's another topic of conversation. So getting back to what (laughs) we're talking about with police and me asking you whether you thought that they were bad. Thanks for sharing your feelings about all that. Someone shared with me recently that God doesn't want us to hate people. We're meant to love. That's what we're put here to do. That's our inherent makeup. So we're not meant to look at someone who is a police officer and hate them. However, people do belong to systems. Slavery was a system. Jim Crow was a system. The mass incarceration system is a system that is built on white supremacy. And a lot of the police brutality and violence that's systemic so just a quick history lesson on some of this stuff the origins of policing in the south it had to do with slave patrols it was all about maintaining white supremacy dehumanizing people who were black and policing them keeping them in line making sure they stayed in their place and in the north there may not have been slavery, there may not have been slave patrols, but the police system was built on hierarchy, where white people would police the Irish, and the Irish would police the Poles, and on down the hierarchy until at the bottom of the hierarchy were people of color. Right. So, yeah. it's, that is the system that I'm getting at. That's the history of it. It's baked into policing and so when we're talking about police reform we're talking about a rejection of white supremacy so that police can do their jobs in a just relationship with the community that they're hired to protect and serve um i've seen shirts and pictures 
because, you know, I haven't been out in the world, but there are people that have shirts that said, that say, like, quote, unquote, I can't breathe. And some authority figure was saying the death of George Floyd is symbolic, saying, like, get off our necks. Yeah. And that's the ongoing systemic piece of it. It's not just one police officer's knee on the neck of one person, that person being George Floyd. It's an entire system's knee on the neck of people of color for decades, for centuries. And it's all based on power mixed with prejudice, which brings me to the next thing I was going to ask you. What is racism? What do you think it is? I haven't had it a had to explain this in a long time and I used to think of it so simply but now that I'm like now that I'm 12 years old I don't really have like I'm still learning and so I don't really have one definition for it I used to think of it as being rude or making jokes or breaking people down because of their race and um, and people in school I've always had this issue with some of my classmates where they think oh my gosh there was that one phase in school when he, when he, even when pe someone would say the color black they would say that's racist and even last year um, I, we were reading this book in ELA called When Marion Sings, and she wanted to be like an opera singer or something, but she couldn't get a job because she was black. And the teacher asked a question to the whole class. And she, and she was like, why couldn't she get a job? And I raised my hand and said, because she was black. And two girls addressed me and said, that's racist. And I said, how? Somehow, like, the question came up, like, what, what would you say? And they, and they, they said, you're supposed to say, you're supposed to say because she was colored. And I was like, she's, <laughs> it's just, it's, I don't know. It's just. So one, that's weird because I, I would <laughs> argue that saying that someone is colored. Colored is racist. Is racist. Yes. Out of touch. But regardless of that, what strikes me about what you're saying is that you can't even talk about race in school uh, at that age. That if you bring up just saying that someone is black in a story, that people go, oh, you're not supposed to talk about that. Mm -hmm. it, and that. And that's part of the problem is that we are so afraid of talking about racism that we won't even bring it up. And not bringing it up makes us believe that we've got it all taken care of because we're peaceful and we're not going to rock the boat. So getting back to what you were initially taught when you were seven or eight about racism, it has a lot to do with prejudice. Not liking someone because of the clothes that they wear or the color of their eyes or the way that they talk or the color of their skin. And there is racial prejudice you judge someone, criticize someone, don't like someone, hold judgment against someone because of their race. 
But racism, I believe, is prejudice mixed with power. That's what makes racism so insidious. Because race itself is a man-made construct. And when you mix that with power... Like gender. Yes, like gender. But when you mix that with power, then it allows for people to place themselves over and above somebody else. Where someone will say, because the color of my skin, the tone of my skin is lighter and yours is darker, I am better than you. My race is better than yours. And that is why I don't like you. And there's power in being able to say what I just said, hypothetically. That's racism. But something else that I wanted to say to you is that racism is a sin. Sin is anything that hinders our relationship with God and that hinders our relationship with other people. It's anything that keeps us from each other, from being in right relationship with each other. And racism blatantly does that. And racism is baked into the culture of our country. It is woven into the fabric of our ethos. And if we don't talk about it, if we don't address it, then we just think that everything's solved and we just need to get along and be peaceful and kind with each other. And the longer that goes on, the more George Floyds are murdered in public and we're left going, how did this happen? Right. So where do you think racism comes from? Um, well, what comes to mind there is the fact that the human race started in Africa with the with darker skin, skin tones. So it, seeing the first people had darker skin tones you like you were saying that like people say my skin tone is lighter than yours therefore i am better than you and i don't like you but the your ancestors however long ago they lived had darker skin than yours yeah and there (laughs) would be people who would blatantly disagree with you uh There would be people who blatantly disagree with you because they are taught tooth and nail that the white race is superior and that everything originated from that. And there are all these pictures of God being white and Jesus being white, and it's just not accurate. So that reminds me of something. When When I'm talking about where racism comes from, we could talk about where racism comes from historically, but what I'm getting at is that racism isn't some abstract, vague idea that just came out of nowhere. It's something that is taught. It's something right. that's perpetuated. Well, yeah, because if you think about it, it I don't know, it's just racism if you think about it. It just doesn't make sense. Um, be- Say that. <laughs> um, no. It's a man-made, as you said, it's a man-made construct. It's a man-made. It, it's been taught for so many centuries. 
And I may be wrong, but what comes to mind is someone in authority just saying something and everyone believing it. So I can imagine someone well-known, like a king or someone in higher power, first deciding that people with darker skin are lesser than, and everyone, it just catches like that. Everyone believes that, everyone starts saying that, and as the years go by and children are taught that, it becomes more and more, this is how this is, and everyone forgets that it didn't used to be like that, and it doesn't have to be like that, and if you just think about it for a second, it doesn't, it's not, I guess it just doesn't make sense. So here's, here's something about how, how it gets taught. There was this thing in 1940 that they did called the doll test, and they took a black doll and a white doll, and they had children look at the dolls, and they asked them, which one of these dolls is good and nice? And they pointed to the white doll and they said which one of these dolls is bad and mean and they pointed to the black doll then also in 2005 a documentary did a more in-depth look at that test where they had more than 20 children of color look at dolls that were white and black and same thing which one of these dolls is good and nice? And they pointed to the white doll. And they said, why did you point to the white doll? And they said, because it's white. And then they said, which one of these is bad and mean? And they pointed to the black doll and they asked the children, why did you point to that one? And they said, because it's black. So this, this not only shows you that racism is something that is taught and perpetuated, it also shows you that it's internalized because in the documentary they also asked the children point to the doll that looks like you after they had pointed to the black doll and said that it was bad and mean they pointed to the black doll when they were asked to point to the one that looked like them what do you think of that teaches the kids or what does that reflect that they're being taught that they're internalizing so racism gets internalized by all of us where we we are led to believe these things about who we are and how we are supposed to relate to each other um i think if i was in that situation if i was like doing that if i was in that room with the child and i asked them after I asked them, like, which one looks like you? I think I would have asked them, does that mean that you're not nice and that you're bad? Because I think that it would have been a good teaching moment to teach them that, like, they don't, that the black doll isn't mean. Um, also, when you first was, were talking about it in, 19, in like the 1940s, I was a, in the 1940s 
I was also thinking about how dark stuff in like movies and if you think about it, nighttime is scary and black castles are scarier and dark nights and stuff like that. Um, and that might also be a reason why those children chose the black doll because their minds aren't fully developed and so they relate that color to that kind of stuff. So it might also be about stuff that they relate to scary, which once they get older, they should, I think, should realize that that stuff shouldn't be scary. I hear you, and I agree and I disagree. Yeah, it can be scary for a child to be alone at night or be in the dark, but it's also taught widely that darkness is bad, that blackness is bad. Right. And so then fear gets associated with darkness and blackness. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. So another piece of this, you were talking about Jesus and God, images of Jesus and God always being white men and stuff like this. It's what's called the Imago Dei, being made in the image of God. Something that broke my heart recently was that someone I know who is African American, they told me this week that when they drove by the protest in Bryan and they saw people holding up the signs that they were holding for four city blocks on either side of the street, including the one that I was holding that said George Brianna and Ahmad were made in the image of God. This person told me that it was the first time in their life that they truly felt like they were made in God's image. And I was going, I'm so glad that you had that revelation, but my heart breaks that it took that long for you to realize that. And it is not that person's fault that it took that long for them to realize that. Right. It is every factor, every knee on their neck that has denied them from feeling that way. So I was thinking about you with this and as a parent, me wanting for you to have a, a healthy self-image and for you to look at yourself in the mirror and love yourself. When you look at yourself in the mirror, when you look at your nose, your eyes, your face, your hair, and the color of your skin, do you see someone who's made in the image of God. I don't think I've thought about it that way, that like made in the image of God, but I do think that I'm beautiful. I do have trouble sometimes when I'm around other people. Uh, being a teenager, I sometimes catch myself thinking about what they think of me just because you know, every kid experiences that. But I think that I'm beautiful, and I love myself, so that's all I need. I just need to remind myself that. It's just instinctual for teenagers to doubt that they're, they, that they don't fit in. There's always that time in their lives, yeah. so. I'm glad to hear you say that you're beautiful, because you are. I'm biased. <laughs> But I mean that. And we should 
be working always toward everyone around us feeling that way about themselves. They should be free to be able to look in the mirror and know that they're beautiful, that they're beloved, and to put it in sacred language, that they're a child of God and that there's no uniform cosmetic look, that there's no one way that God looks. We're all made in the image of God and that reflects the beauty of who God is and it reminds us that we're meant to be in relationship with each other and racism keeps us from being able to do that. So what I want to do is reinforce this image of God that reflects the diversity of God's goodness, the diversity of humanity, the mosaic of humanity with everything that we read and watch and take in and internalize so that we will get out of this thinking that one race is better than the other. So I was thinking about what you read. You devour books. Do you know whether any of the authors that you read are people of color? Um, on the Come Up is by the same author that, re that wrote The Hate You Give. I haven't read her book yet, but I have it, and I plan on reading it. What about the music that you listen to? I listen to Lauryn Hill a lot. And I've listened to a few Lizzo songs. I've, I don't have a lot of Run DMC music, but I, I, I listen to some of their songs. Aretha Franklin, out of James. Um, Al Green. We're being reminded a lot these days that it's not enough to say, I'm not racist. We have to be anti-racist. Right. Which means that we do the work to dismantle racism. And that is a daunting task, given how big and overpowering it can be. And we can feel like we're not doing enough. I can't tell you how many people I've heard from in a pastoral counseling capacity over the last couple of weeks who are feeling like they just can't do enough but we've got to do the work and we can start with just one thing so what's one thing that you can do this week to end racism you can um, talk to people that you know about it try to educate them with what you know and have and Maybe they can educate you. You can go to different protests, um, and you can keep yourself updated with what's happening. Educate yourself about the stuff. Read books. Books are good. <laughs> I love books. Yeah, seek out and read books by black authors. Seek out and listen to music by black artists and when you talk about talking about racism very important but also listening listen to black voices and what they're saying is important because people who look like you and me have the luxury of not having to face this and deal with this every day unless we choose to 
but people of color face it every day. And like James Baldwin says, um, not everything that is faced can be changed, but until it is faced, nothing can change. Good. I like it. This has been a good uh, conversation. Yes, it has. A good starting point. Black Lives Matter. Peace. Thanks for talking with me. I had fun. Well, I had a good experience. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Until the next experience. Yes. Bye, everybody. (laughs) You're invincible together.